One of my favorite writers is Paul Tripp. Paul tells a story about having an apple tree in his backyard and the possibility of this tree not bearing apples, but wanting it to bear apples and looking out at the branches and not seeing good apples. And because his wife wants him to have good apples on that tree and he wants to have good apples on that tree and being frustrated that there aren't any apples on that tree, he talks about going to a grocery store and buying three bags of big, ripe, juicy red apples. Driving back home, getting a ladder and a staple gun, and stapling apples to the branches of this apple tree that doesn't bear good apples. And he talks about the possibility of his wife coming home and looking out and seeing all those beautiful apples. And, and, and he, he almost presents it in a way to say, look, uh, th- we've got good apples on this tree that we've been wanting to have apples. And what Paul Tripp is doing in that story is illustrating a very significant point. Is that in the Christian life, we often, as branches, tend to try to staple fruit to our lives and show everybody how beautiful our apples are when in reality they're just fake. They're artificial. They didn't come from being rooted in the vine. And one of the things that I've been learning recently is that we have a tendency as human beings to look at people's actions and judge their heart by their actions. God is the reverse. He looks at our hearts and He judges our actions by the nature of our hearts. And so really what Paul Tripp was calling to do in the book that I was reading and what Jesus is calling us to do is not to be a bunch of fruit staplers onto the branches of our lives that we might show him and show everybody else how big our, our apples are and how juicy and red and ripe they are, but instead to abide in the vine so that we can actually produce the apples ourselves. Okay? I was reading another author this week from over 125 years ago. And he was talking about a vineyard, a a grapevine in London. I think it was in Hampton Court. And people were mesmerized by the thousands of bunches that this one grapevine um, had produced. Thousands of bunches of grapes. And people would walk by this grapevine and see these branches and all of these grapes just literally just hanging off of this one vine with these branches. And they were absolutely astonished at, at how much fruit it was producing. And afterward, they found out that that grapevine had run its roots hundreds of yards underneath the ground, all the way to the River Thames, and was drawing nourishment and water and moisture from a river over 400 yards away. And all the vine was doing was receiving the nourishment of the river, running that that nourishment, that water, which turns into sap, all the way to its branches. And the branches were receiving that sap and simply producing the fruit 
that was the, the, the result of the sap. And the point there is to really bear the fruit that God has called us to bear in our lives. It's not like we have to work it up. It's not like we have to, to really grind and toil and labor in the power that we can strum up with our lives and say, we're going to bear some fruit today. The way to bear enormous spiritual fruit in our lives is simply to abide in the vine because the vine has done all the work. The vine has done all the labor and he sends the nourishment to us and as we abide, we will bear spiritual fruit. That's the point. That, that's where we are today. Last week we said that Jesus is the true vine. He's the true vine that gives spiritual nourishment to us and then as we abide in Him, we, we will bear much fruit and in doing so, we'll get joy and the Father will get glory. If you will, turn your Bibles to John 15 because today we're going to hone in on verses 7 through 11 and this is the title of the message is He's the True Vine Part 2. Because I want us to look at those last five verses and hone in on abiding in the vine. Ten times in verses 1 through 11, Jesus uses this word abide. And we're going to read 1 through 11 and then we'll hone in after that. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in the vine. Abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I've got one aim this morning, and that is for every person here to abide in the love of Christ and to joyfully bear fruit for the Father's glory. That's my aim today. And I want us to be able to do that as the words of Jesus fall on our ears and then go down into our hearts that we may be shaped by His love.
Now, I think it would be good for us to just take a couple of minutes and, and review the picture that he's drawn, right? The, the picture that he's drawn is a vineyard, vines, and one vine in particular, and a vine dresser going out and taking care of this vine, cutting off fruitless branches and throwing them into a pile and ultimately burning them, and pruning fruitful branches so that they will bear even more fruit, yes, much fruit. That's the picture that he's painted. And the parallels that he draws is that the father is the vine dresser, and he, he's the gardener, he's the farmer who comes into the vineyard and takes a look at this one particular vine and does these things. And, and Jesus is the true vine. And, and simply by way of review from last week, what we said is when he says he's the true vine, what he's indicating there as the true one is that there have been false vines. And in particular, the most artificial false vine that has existed is Israel itself, the nation. Because God had intended for Israel to be a fruitful vine so that all the nations of the earth could be blessed by their love for God and their love for others, by their worship of God and service to others. But Israel had not fulfilled the duty to which they had been called. And what we said last week is that we haven't even fulfilled the duty that we've been called. You know, when Adam and Eve were created, God said, be fruitful and multiply. And when they didn't, and decided to rebel against God and say, we want our way, not God's way, then, then the standard never changed, but their fruitfulness did. And you and I, because we're great, 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 great grandchildren of Adam and Eve, you and I are fruitless vines. We're called to be fruitful, we're not. And Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. And if you want real fruit, you've got to abide in me. And if you want to um, bear much fruit for the glory of God, then you've got to find your identity in me and you've got to be attached to me. Now, we also want to make the parallels that the, the fruitful branches are genuine disciples who abide in the love of Christ. And the, and the fruitless branches are the the so-called disciples, the, the counterfeit disciples who say, oh yeah, I love Jesus. Oh yeah, I'm attached to the church. Oh yeah, I'm a religious person. But in reality, they don't abide in the vine. They don't receive the vine's nourishment and sap. They only live their own way. They follow their fleshly lust, the lust of the eyes, the, lu the, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. But when it comes time to making a profession that they love Jesus, oh yeah, I love him. Oh yeah, I'm a part of the church. Those are the fruitless branches. And so those are the parallels that he wants us to make so that we can really understand this, this story. But if you will draw your attention to verses 7 through 11, I really want to do something unique this morning. I want to do a meditative exposition. An exposition of the Word of God is what we do every week. We expose the meaning of the text of Scripture. Because we know that as we understand Scripture, God saves us, He sanctifies us, He blesses us, He encourages us, and He equips us for ministry. And so we give a heavy dose every week of the exposition of Scripture, and we do it in an organized fashion. This week, I'm going to give an exposition. I'll expose the meaning of Scripture right now in verses 7 through 11, but I'm going to do it in Q&A form. I'm going to ask a question and then provide the answer as we walk through these five verses so that 
hopefully we can understand this concept of abiding in the vine, that we can be drawn to that concept, that we can say, I want to abide in the vine. I want to have that nourishment. I want to love Jesus. I want to enjoy Jesus. And I want to bear much fruit for Jesus and the Father's glory. That's what I want my life to be marked by. And so I think we can do that if we just walk through these questions. Okay, so, so, so first question If you look down at verses 7 through 11, I think you're going to see about five times Jesus talks about abiding in him, abiding in him, abiding in his love, abiding in his love, abiding in his love. And so the first question I think is important for us to ask is, what is abiding in Christ? What does it mean to abide in Christ? That sounds good. We talked about it at the breakfast table this morning as a family. And we talked about when we hear the word abide, we kind of we kind of just think of, of just kind of hanging with and staying with somebody or something. That's what we talked about in the most layman of terms. That's what we talked about, we, what we think about when we hear that word abide. Well, I want to give you my definition as I understand it from Scripture This passage and then collecting it with everything else that Scripture has to say about being with Jesus. And I want to give that to you right now. I'm going to put it up on the screen because if you don't get anything else this morning, I want you to be clear on what what abiding in Christ is. So put it up on the screen now. Abiding in Christ is receiving His Word. Resting in His love. And redeeming His presence in you through praise and prayer and meditation on Him throughout each day. So significant that we understand those those three concepts found in that definition. There are three verbals there. The first one is receiving His Word. I get that specifically from verse 7, but He's basically made that case throughout the entire Gospel of John. But if you look at verse 7, the very first part, he says, If you abide in me and my what? Words abide in you. Man, he goes on to say in verse 11, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You know what is interesting connection that we need to make as Christians is that the way for us to be happier, the way for us to have an an abounding joy in our lives is to listen to the words of Jesus. Because without the words of Jesus, we will have a uh, a diminishing joy in our lives. With the words of Jesus, he says we'll actually have an increasing joy in our lives. God has so wired the essence of words, which produces a message, so that when we receive them and appropriate them into our hearts, we actually get more happiness. We get more joy. We get more pleasure. That's not a foreign concept. I mean, how how much do you enjoy the person closest to you telling you, I love you? I love you. That means something to us because God has so wired the human heart that words matter. And Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. So abiding in Christ is receiving his word throughout the day. It's resting in his love. And I I use the word rest very specifically because... It's this concept of a branch. Like what, what does a branch actually do 
to produce all that fruit. Like when you, when you go to an apple tree or you go to a grapevine and see all of these grapes, and if you were to ask, if you were to ask the branch that is bearing the most fruit, hey branch, what have you done in order to bear all that fruit? If the branch could talk, the branch would have to say, I've really done nothing at all, but just received the sap that came from the vine. That's all I've done. And y'all, the vine does all the work to produce the sap and give it to the branch. And in the same way, we need to rest in the work that Jesus has done to provide us the spiritual nourishment that we need to bear real spiritual fruit. You know, part of Christianity over the last hundred years has been has been kind of this idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, working as hard as you can to try to produce fruit for the glory of God. It's making moral decisions and spiritual decisions in such a way that you work and labor really hard to try to produce something that God's going to be pleased with. I'm not exactly sure how we got onto that train and kept riding it for so long. But without question, Jesus came to do a work that we couldn't do. And he produced for us a finished work that instead of us having to get behind him and try to accomplish the same things that he accomplished, we simply just follow him and say, we're connected to you, we're going to abide in you, we're going to trust in you, we know that you love us because of what you did for us. You lived the life that we're supposed to live. You then died the death that we're supposed to die. You were condemned on the cross like we're supposed to be condemned in hell for our sins. You were buried and dead just like we're supposed to die. You rose from the dead on our behalf. You conquered death. You conquered sin. You conquered hell. You conquered Satan. You conquered darkness. And then you rose into heaven. You ascended there right now at the very right hand and you're pouring your love into us by your Holy Spirit that's been shed abroad in our hearts so that we can feel your love on not just a daily basis, but a moment by moment basis. We know you love us because you bled for us and died for us. And when we say abiding in Christ is resting in his love, all we have to do is look at the quality of his love for us, the commitment of his love to us and say, wow, I've got a great savior. I've got a great vine that I need to abide in. Listen, the love of Jesus is undeserved. You haven't merited it. You haven't earned it. As a matter of fact, the very definition of grace is not only undeserved favor, it's undeserved favor in spite of deserved disfavor. Okay, Jesus' love is undeserved. It is unrestrained. By unrestrained, I mean Jesus is not in heaven holding back love for you. He's not just sprinkling a little bit here and a little bit there just to make you feel a little bit better as you go along. Jesus is giving you all His love in infinite measure and He's showing it to you through His Word from Genesis to Revelation. And every page of this book is saying to you, Jesus loves you. He loves you undeservedly. He loves you unrelentingly. And He uh, he, he loves you unrestrainedly. 
Like Jesus does not resist to love you. He wants to love you. He desires to love you and he's passionate to love you and he demonstrated it on the cross and he's demonstrating it now as he mediates for you in heaven at the Father's right hand. And so abiding in Christ is receiving his word and resting in his undeserved, unrestrained, unrelenting love for you demonstrated at the cross and even presently as he is your advocate. And finally, it's redeeming His presence in you through praise, prayer, and meditation on Him throughout the day. I use the word redeeming His presence in you because this is what I believe theologically. I believe if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit in you. He's in you. If you have crossed over from death to life, you possess the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has taught us in the last three weeks that if you possess the Holy Spirit, that you actually have the Father and the Son in you, resting in you, residing in you, living inside of you. Well, if that's the case, then why is it that oftentimes we as believers don't bear much fruit? Why is it that we don't have much joy? Why is it that we don't have a lot of freedom and a lot of rest in our lives, but we're full of anxiety, we're full of worry, we're full of doubt and discouragement and despondency and all of this kind of thing? Why, why is that? It's because we don't redeem the reality of His presence in us. We don't buy it back. We, 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 don't, we don't say, I want to use that for for His glory and my joy and the world's good. No, I, I don't. And so reason we don't do that is we don't abide in Him through praise and prayer and meditation. We'll talk about it a little bit later. But I will tell you, if we want to abide in Jesus, then we're going to praise Him. And we are going to tell Him how great He is what wonderful works that he has. We're going to tell him by, by words and prayer. We're going to tell him by songs. We're going to tell him by writing in a journal how wonderful and glorious he is. We're going to tell him personally. We're going to tell him in our families. We're going to tell him corporately as a church, but we're going to spend time praising the love of our God. And we're also going to pray to him. We're going to petition him. And we're going to ask him for great and glorious things. We're going to ask him for more fruit. We're going to ask him for kingdom building type of things. We're going to petition him as we live in him. And then I use this word meditation. Meditation. It means to think deeply on so that you can act rightly about. And this is what I know. The Lord has ordained for a lot of us to work jobs and to live lives that require mental focus. Some of our work is computer work and we're writing programs and others of our work are uh, hands-on, laborious work where we have to make sure that we get in the proper corners and move the proper furniture. And some of our work requires really focus in conversation as we try to make a sale. And it would be easy for us to think, well, how can we really meditate and abide in Christ when we have to be so focused on our job? Well, the reality is this, is if we praise the Lord if we petition to Him, if we memorize His Scripture, and as we walk in that, we'll be able to think about what the Lord would have us do and say and act in those moments as we work along because we've been drawing nourishment from that vine early on and throughout days and weekends when we're not on our job.
That's why I define it that way. It's a meditation on him so that we can act appropriately even in the midst of our highest and most strict of of responsibilities. Okay, we'll come probably come back to that at the very at the very end, but that's that's the most important question. Let's go to question number two. Can we really ask whatever we wish and it'll be done for us? That's what he says. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. So I think we come to a point in this passage where we either believe Jesus or we don't believe him. We either have the option to say, yeah, that's that's true, or we say, no, that's not really true. My answer is this. Yes, if we abide in Christ and his words abide in us, we will ask for things that deal with fruit-bearing, We will ask for things that deal with glorifying the Father. And the Father will be delighted to answer yes to us every single time. One of the things that we fell at, that we we are getting better at as Christians, but one of the things that we fell at is we ask for God to do a lot in our lives. But we don't follow up with how he answered and then giving praise to him on how he answered. But we did that this morning in our corporate prayer time. Thank you for doing that, Ben, uh, guiding us through that. But y'all, the reality is, is that God answers yes so many more times than you and I think he answers yes to. Man, he has said yes in so many ways to me and in my life, and I have been really negligent to observe that, see that, celebrate that, and then let that produce more and more confidence that every time I go to Him, He is is excited to hear my request, and if I am in His will about fruit-bearing and glorifying His name and building His kingdom, then He's going to be delighted to say, yes, here you go. Now, sometimes we ask for things that we don't get. I don't even have to have a show of hands. Have you ever asked God for something that you didn't get? Okay? There are multiple reasons why we don't sometimes get what we ask for. But one of the chief reasons that we don't get what we ask for is because we don't abide in the vine. We actually just abide in ourselves. And we live for ourselves. And we want our glory rather than the Father's glory. And we want our kind of fruit rather than the Father's kind of fruit. And so we ask for things that don't line up with what's going to give Him glory. And we we plead with Him and we expect Him to do it because we know He's a big God. And we turn around and say, man, God's not God after all. When in reality, we need to realize that this promise that Jesus makes to us is contingent on us abiding in the vine, receiving the sap, receiving the nourishment of Jesus through meditating on Him and loving Him and having the same desires that He has. Now, I will tell you another, another case in which we don't get what we ask for is when we think we know 
but we don't really know what the specific will of the Father is. We want His glory to be done, and so in those moments we should ask, but Lord, not my will, let Your will be done. And I get that because Jesus, who lived a perfect life in in pure submission to His Father, is in the garden, and He asks, Lord, would You please remove this cup from me? Now, church, just uh, humor me here. Did the Father remove the cup from Jesus? He didn't. He didn't. And here Jesus is saying that whatever, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. And literally, maybe three hours later, He asked His Father for something, and the Father doesn't grant it to Him. Why? Because... The Father had this perfect will to build His kingdom. And Jesus did not want to be separated from the Father at all. Jesus enjoys abiding in the Father. Jesus enjoys having perfect fellowship with the Father. And that's a pure, perfect will. So what He was asking was something that honors the Father. But God is going to build His kingdom in Jesus tasting the cup of wrath for you and me. And so when you and I ask for things, we often should say, nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. When we receive that pattern from the Savior himself, the true vine. Because sometimes we think we know, but we may not know. Okay, let's ask the next question. How is God the Father glorified? How is God the Father glorified? I mean, our purpose statement at Redeemer Church, we exist to pursue the glory of God and the joy of all people. We exist to pursue His glory. That's our chief purpose. That, that's why we exist. And so how does that happen? Well, according to Jesus in this passage, it's through bearing much fruit as a result of abiding in Christ. It's through bearing much fruit as a result of abiding in Christ. That's how the Father's glorified. So if you think about that picture in London, England at Hampton Court with all those thousands of bunches of grapes that are just dropping off of the vine. They're so plump. They're so sweet. There's so many of them. How, how, how in the world does that, does that happen? It's through abiding in the vine, receiving the nourishment of the vine, and then turning around and producing all of these bunches of grapes. And when we produce spiritual fruit like love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When that's born out in our daily lives, what is actually happening there is that the Father's glory is being magnified. His greatness is being put on display. When you're tempted to, to strike back at a coworker because of their smart mouth, but instead you respond with a gentle answer and not a harsh tongue, the Father's glory is being magnified in that. When you demonstrate patience with your, with your son or with your daughter in a, in a moment of their weakness or their disrespect, and instead of lashing back, you hold your temper and you demonstrate love and grace, you are magnifying the very glory of God in that moment. And 
Church, we could go all the way down the line of the the fruit of the Holy Spirit attitude, the, the fruit of generosity. When you pull out your checkbook and you write a check to another brother or sister who is in need and say, here you go, I hope this helps with your need, you are magnifying the glory and greatness of Almighty God in that. And that fruit of generosity comes from abiding in the vine. And when you have the thought of not, of writing that check to help a brother or sister in need, but then you say, nah, maybe next time or something like that, that is very likely a demonstration of your lack of abiding in the vine. I'm using some very specific examples so that you can understand that the Father is glorified through bearing much fruit as a result of abiding in the vine. In Christ. You see, you see, we can do good things. We can hold our tongue, but our holding of our tongue, if it's not rooted in abiding in Christ, is not really worth much. And we can demonstrate self-control in the midst of a difficult situation because we know that if we say something, only more fighting is going to ensue. And we're like, well, I just better not, but I want to, but I better not. That's not really, that's not really magnifying God because God looks at the heart rather than the fruit. We look at the fruit and judge the heart. He looks at the heart and judges the fruit. And so he wants to know that we're actually deriving our power and our motive and our strength from loving and enjoying our Savior who's bled and died for us. Okay, let's ask the next question. How is the authenticity of our discipleship proven? How is the authenticity of our discipleship proven? Church, why don't y'all participate with me here? I think this is a pretty straightforward answer that Jesus gives. How do we, how do we prove the authenticity of our discipleship of Jesus? How do we do that? Okay, yep, so our love for one another would be a demonstration. It would be an example of bearing much fruit, right? Because that's, that's what he says. He, he says it in the text, right? Okay, so that would, be, that would be like a perfect way to bring in that Paul Tripp illustration about the stapling of the apples, Right? We have to bear much fruit. We, we can't staple fruit to our, the branches of our, our, of our lives and say, oh, I'm a real disciple. I go to church. I attend Sunday school. I do some really good things. I help out with Habitat for Humanity once a year. I, I, I'm a giving person. Well, those things may be good and they may not be good depending on whether or not we're actually abiding in the vine. Okay, let's go to the next question. This is a pretty significant question. How much does Jesus love us? If you don't mind, look down at our passage, verses 7 through 11. And he gives us a really clear indication of the quality and the depth of his love for us. How much does he love us? It is full. That's right. It's a fullness. Probably getting that from verse 11. He actually says something prior to that that would even give us kind of a, a comparison. He compares his love for us with some. Yes. So Jesus loves us as much as the Father loves him. 
So you guys know that the universe is massively expansive. I was reading something this week that that our particular, the Milky Way, if you were traveling at the speed of light to go from one end of it to the other end of it would take billions of years. Okay? We have a massive universe, and we have an earth, and here we are as human beings living on this earth. But before all of that existed, the earth and humanity and the Milky Way and the entirety of everything that exists in in physical and material form, there was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for eternity past. And they were full and they were full of love and fellowship and intimacy and care and they were happy together. And then, once creation happened and mankind fell, God the Father saw the need of man and He sent His beloved, eternal, glorious Son out of heaven onto planet Earth and put Him on this rescue mission. And at times, He verbally spoke from the heavenlies and said, This is My, what? Beloved Son. In whom I am, what? Well pleased. He said it time and again. The quality of the Father's love for the Son is both infinite and eternal and immeasurable. It is infinite, eternal, and immeasurable. There is no restraint in the Father's love for the Son. There is no governor on the Father's love for the Son. It is full board, all out, immeasurable, infinite, and intimate love in the Trinity. The Father for the Son. And the Son turns around and tells every one of His disciples, I love you with the same quality that the Father loves me. Number one, we have to embrace the reality that we don't deserve it. But number two, we've got to embrace the reality that it is unbelievable kind of love. It is amazing love. How can it be? Listen, if you don't get anything else today, I want you to know that with the same measure that the Father loves the Son, the Son loves you. Don't doubt it. Rest in it. Enjoy it. And go out today knowing that He loves you immeasurably, eternally, and without restraint. So, Next question is, how should we respond to the undeserved, unrestrained, unrelenting love of Jesus? The answer is, abide in His love. Abide in His love. We should receive His Word. Rest in His love. Redeem His presence in us through praise and prayer and meditation throughout the day. We need to to think on Him and trust Him and receive Him throughout the day as, as He speaks to us. 
And what I've done, I've, I've asked about five people, not in this congregation and not even in this community, not even in this county, but five people that, that I know and that I love and that I see the fruit of their lives and I can feel the rootedness of their abiding in Christ. And I've asked them some questions and I, I just, I'd like to, I'd like to share with you what, what their answers were to a couple of questions because I think this could help you in abiding in, in Christ for your own life. All right, so, so I asked these two questions to five people whom I know and love who bear much fruit. I said, what does abiding in Christ's love look like in your life? And how does abiding in Him shape your thinking and your emotions and your actions? All right, so uh, the, per- the first person told me this. Abiding is me enjoying an ongoing relationship in Jesus Christ. And this is what he, this is what he says very specifically. The best thing that God has given me is the audio Bible. God pours down his word like rain into my heart. The biggest help to me is repetition in the audio Bible. My habit is five chapters a day, five days a week. And it's the same chapters every day for a week. It's about spiritual muscle memory for me. Just like a golf swing, when you get that swing down, you get muscle memory. I have the same thing going on spiritually. I have spiritual muscle memory. And I've had so many opportunities to love people through their specific problems with the specific scriptures that can speak to their problem. And then he says, you know, some people ask, what does the voice of God sound like? And this is what he said, for me, it sounds like my Sunday school teacher, my pastor, and my mentor. It sounds like Bible Gateway's Max McLean as he reads the Gospel of Mark as I listen to it in the mornings. And so, for this first person, it's all about receiving the Word of God, in this case, in in an audio fashion, as he abides in Christ. Another person that I asked said, abiding in Christ's love, developing an intimate personal relationship with Jesus, and allowing the Holy Spirit to direct my path and shed light on every action that I take. He says, by following Jesus, I'm fleshing out His will to enable me to have peace and for Him to be glorified in my actions. Now listen to this. When I ask this particular person, and y'all actually know this person because he's come here before, but when I ask this person those two questions, listen to his response. Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out for Shittim and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would sin and consecrate them and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And so Job did this continually. Proverbs 31.15, she rises while it's yet night. Mark 1.35, in rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. 2 Chronicles 20.20, they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa, and they went out. And Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, O Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem, put your trust in the Lord your God and you'll be established. Put your trust in His prophets and succeed. 
Genesis 19, 27, Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he stood before the Lord. Genesis 28, 18, Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. Exodus 34, so Moses cut two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai, and the Lord had commanded him, and he took two stone tablets in his hand. And this is what the person says, the Lord illuminated to me the need for me to abide early. It helps me start my day centered with a heart set on him. In those moments, by the Spirit, I slay my flesh by feasting on his word. I ask Him to allow what has flowed to me to then flow through me to others that day. It empowers me to lift my eyes off of myself and fixate it on others with gospel intentionality that day. He then quotes Francis Chan. I don't want to be content with hearing from Moses when I've been given the opportunity to climb into the tent myself. Another of my friends said... This He says, I I use margin, and I strive to create more. I use spare moments to memorize Scripture, disciplining my thoughts during mindless tasks like doing dishes and lifting weights. This can yield hours of intentional prayer and meditation each day. I've developed a pattern of singing, both hymns to myself throughout the day and on my guitar and at night. I'm not a great musician or a singer. Actually, I'm quite terrible at both. But singing together as a family is a great discipline of abiding in Christ. Praying in the car for whatever's going on and whatever I'm about to do. While I'm driving to work, I pray for my work ethic, my coworkers and customers, and wisdom in difficult situations. When I'm driving home, prayer for my wife and my children and our time together that evening as a family. Any guests that we're hosting or preparing to host, when I'm driving to a birthday party, I pray for the birthday boy or girl, their family, a Christ-like presence at the party, and all of those things. I carry Scripture with me to memorize. I make my default impulse whenever there is free time to not pull out my phone, but the Scripture to memorize and meditate on. I pray with the people in the moment when they share struggle or burden or joy. If somebody shares great news about the Lord's provision, stopping right there and thanking God for it. And if someone shares a challenge, I try to ask if I can pray for them there. I take time for rest and pursue recreational hobbies that are active and outdoors. Much of abiding in Christ is standing in awe of creation, removing ourselves from day-to-day task and technology, and remembering God's provision and answer to prayers in the past. He says, I study faithful prayers from past saints and I learn how to pray from them and to repeat those prayers as my own. And then he talks about developing consistency and I won't go into great detail, but positively he says, I set apart time daily for growing in the spiritual disciplines and negatively he tries to limit certain things like phone consumption and internet consumption because they have a draining a draining effect on his abiding in Christ. And so while he has a phone and while he has a computer, he designates certain times and places every day to use those and otherwise he will not use them. Finally, finally, one of my friends said, John 15, 9 is the key to understanding how and why to abide in Christ. 
He says, Christ loves me with the same love that God the Father loves Jesus. And even though Jesus was the perfect son in every way, I'm loved as if I were perfect in obedience of God's word. And so for me, knowing that, having been loved unconditionally, I'm free and empowered to love others as Jesus has instructed us to do. Why did I ask these folks to share their stories about abiding in Christ? Because number one, I have experienced significant spiritual fruit from their lives. And I have also seen and felt the joy of their lives in doing it. I'm not God. I don't know their hearts. But I can see two things. I can see the joy that they have, and I can feel the fruit that they give me. For that reason, I asked them that. And when I said, how do you do that? What compels you? What keeps you going? Those were their answers. Okay, let's, uh, let's finish up by asking uh, two questions here, and they, they will go quickly. What relationship does abiding in Christ and obeying Christ have? Because he says down in verse, uh, let's see, 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. I'm just going to give you the, the succinct answer here. They're connected to one another and dependent on one another. If we abide in Christ, we'll obey Christ. If we obey Christ, we'll continue to abide in Christ. Abiding fuels obedience. Obedience fuels more abiding. It's like when I hang out with Jamie. When I hang out with Jamie, I have a desire to serve Jamie and do whatever will help her. And the more I do whatever helps her and she flourishes, the more I want to hang out with her. And the more I hang out with her, the more I want to do for her. It has a fueling kind of of effect on it. And the same is true for our relationship with Jesus and our obedience to Him. Listen, Jesus is the example. He says, I abide in my Father and I go and I obey my Father. And as I obey my Father, I enjoy it more and I abide in my Father every single day. Final question, why did Jesus teach this lesson on abiding in Him? Why did He teach this lesson? And somebody, if you'll look at verse 11 and answer that question. Why did he teach this lesson on abiding? Yes, so that our joy will be full. Joy is a constant inner delight of the soul that is not based on good circumstances, but on a good Savior. And Jesus wants us to experience a growing fullness of delight in His love and in His grace and in His power and in His exercising will to answer yes to everything that we ask of Him. He wants us to be delighted and satisfied. That's why He teaches us about abiding in the vine. And this is what I know after studying the last two weeks, John 15. I know I want to have more joy. And I know the way to get there is to abide in His love. And so I'm compelled to do that very thing this coming week, that I may have a growing fullness of the delight that is at the Father's right hand.
And that's what I call you to today. Let's pray. Father, help us delight in you and bear much spiritual fruit for the glory of your name and the joy of our own souls. We ask it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, who is the true vine. Amen.